They can get a cheerleader a lot cheaper than me. They're getting a lawyer who will give them the good news and hopefully will help them deal with the bad news. Learn from those who come before you. You gotta know another lawyer. You gotta invite an older lawyer to lunch. I never, when I videotape the defendant, say, tell me about your educational background. All I'm looking for in deposition of the defendant is what it is I want to start my case with. It isn't about your war with that lawyer. It's about your war with injustice and your war for justice. And I'd say don't be worried about how you can maximize your fee in any one given deal. Think about the long run. Think about the, the big picture and think about your reputation long term. This is Wisdom on Trial, impacting your life and law practice. Our guest today is David King, who for me uh, really is someone I look up to both professionally and personally. David's been a lawyer for over 50 years. He served in the Marine Corps. He graduated from Vanderbilt Law School. He is both an incredible trial lawyer and an incredible litigator. And he has had a wide-ranging practice. He's handled everything from standard injury litigation to most recently He represented the Florida League of Women Voters in the gerrymandering case, which changed the way political districts were drawn in the state of Florida. He's currently representing the city of Orlando in 1983 litigation in federal court as a result of the Pulse shooting. He's a a great man and a great lawyer. I really enjoyed talking to David. I hope you will enjoy it too. Well, uh, I talked to your partner, and one of the things I said, what, what keeps David so active at, at this particular season of life? And what he told me was, he said, David finds a way that whatever he's working on in the moment, he finds interesting and gets engaged in it. Well, um, you know, I've been fortunate to have just a lot of interesting things to do over the years in my practice. And, and so consequently... Not doing the same thing means that every time you tackle something new, it's kind of reinvigorating, you know. And and you, I like to learn. I like to burrow down with a bunch of cases and a bunch of documents and try to make some sense out of it all. Uh, I'm I'm introverted enough to kind of enjoy that, you know. And um, maybe some people wouldn't find that a lot of fun, but I don't mind sitting in my office for. Uh, several hours just bird down in there and uh, trying to figure it out, you know, trying to make sense out of it. And then building for the time when you let it all out in a deposition or hearing or something like that. You started practicing, is it, did you say 67? Uh, Well, I passed the bar in 65, went in the Marine Corps, did court-martial work in the Marine Corps in 60. Uh, 6 to 68, and then I went into the private practice in September of 1968 here in Orlando. What what are the biggest changes that you've seen for the good um, and the bad in the practice of law over that time? Well, we were a lot smaller bar back in those days, and so you knew everybody. I don't know, 20% of the bar now, it doesn't seem like Back then, I knew everybody. We could all get in a picture together. For several years there, they took a picture and hung it up in the courthouse and 
had all of our pictures in it, you know, I mean, in one frame. Uh, you couldn't do that today, uh, I don't think. And of course, then it was like a technological desert. I mean, we barely had copiers working then, you know, we were just starting to get copiers. And uh, um, I remember um, getting the first IBM display writer, which was a bit of a power typewriter, and it cost $18,000. Um, and, you know, there weren't computers, um, and you didn't have this need to have just an instant response to everything once something comes up, you know. I mean, you'd you'd sit down and you'd get your legal assistant and you would draft a letter and she would type it up for you and then you would send it out and you could relax for several days because it would take three or four days to get where it was going, you know, and then somebody on the other end would think about it and you'd get a response back in about a week or 10 days. Not so today. No. Uh, today you're supposed to respond in like 30 minutes, you know, to somebody's question or concern. I think it makes for a lot of times decisions that aren't so good uh, when they're made hastily uh, like that, but that's just the world we live in today. That's a big difference. Tell me the most unexpected thing that you've discovered in your journey in the practice of law. Well, I think I've discovered that Sometimes good things happen to good lawyers, and sometimes good business doesn't necessarily go to good lawyers. You know, it, it, you'd think in um, the equation that the better the lawyer, the better the business necessarily, you know, uh, that would come to them. But that's not always the case. Um, I learned a long time ago that there were two kinds of lawyers. Uh, there were lawyers that could have, that had cases, and there were lawyers that could do work and do it well, skilled lawyers. And the fellow that was telling me that said, you know, the, the lawyers that can do good work will always work for the ones that have cases. Um, so, I, I kind of have accommodated myself. Fortunately, we've gotten enough good work that, that we've been fine. Let me uh, ask about what you do for fun outside of the practice of law, mm -hmm. outside of campaigning for your son and staying happily married. What, what are your hobbies? Well, I enjoy reading. I'm a, I'm a big reader. What kind of books? Uh, I read a lot of different kinds of books, a lot of uh, fiction, but I read nonfiction as well. In fact, here lately I've just read a couple of really good books, nonfiction. So I enjoy that. I don't know whether this would be interesting to you or not, but for some reason I decided back in 1995 that I would write down the name of every book I read. So I keep a record, and I have records since 1995 uh, of every book I've read. And um, there's something very, I don't know that that's a complimentary thing to say, but I mean, that's, that's just what I've done. And, and so now I'm, 
like since then, I'm, I think I'm over about 1,820 books. Wow. Um, that, that I've read during that time. So I know what I've read. I can at least go back and figure out what I've read for the last 23 years. If you were to give advice on different areas, and I'm going to spitball some different areas, and if you can give me your one sentence or one paragraph piece of advice on, on these areas, that would be great. Writing, effective writing. Well, I, I think you have to be very clear and try to be as direct and simple as you can be without, you know, I think these long paragraphs and long um, sentences um, that just get so convoluted are a big mistake. I think the more direct you can be, the better you are, and, and the best thing you can do is have some good young lawyers that write well. And then you're editing. <laughs> then you're editing, exactly. You got to be honest and you got to try to build your reputation because that's so important to you when you're dealing with the court. The court's got to know that they can depend on you to tell them the truth, uh, to give them the current state of the law, whatever it is, whether it helps you or you hurt, hurt you. Uh, you got to tell them the way it is and then they will build confidence in you um, and shouldn't necessarily be this way, but so often you're in front of the judge, you and your opponent, and the judge may not have a lot of information about your case. And so that judge is looking for who can be depended on, who exudes reliance and confidence and, and honesty. And that may be the lawyer sometimes that wins the hearing. Negotiating. Um, you have to have a goal, you have to have a plan, you have to have some fallback positions and uh, know what you've got to work with, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, and then you got to proceed on that basis. Again, if you have a reputation uh, as being somebody that can follow through, if you're not successful in negotiating, that'll help a lot. Yes. Advising clients about information they do not want to hear. In other words, sharing with a client advice and counsel that you know they don't want to hear. Well, I, I just try to explain to clients that they're not paying me my hourly rate to get a cheerleader. They can get a cheerleader a lot cheaper than me. Uh, they're getting a lawyer who will give them the good news and who will give them the bad news and hopefully will help them figure out how to deal with the bad news. But you've got to be able to talk straight to your clients and tell them exactly what they, please don't lead those clients down the primrose path, you know, and make them think everything's great when it's not, because there will be a day of reckoning in that situation. Advice on persuading juries. I think you've got to be prepared and confident and passionate and energetic. That goes a long way, I think, in that a jury sees that, and, and, and you're telling them the truth. Uh, what you're telling them fits with what they're hearing from the witness stand. And if you've got problems, you confront them. Um, you're not 
trying to pull the wool over their eyes. And um, and then good clients take you a long way they in front do. of a jury. So let me ask you, client selection. Well, some of the very best decisions I've ever made have been turning down cases. Yes. <laughs> uh, you, you really need to think hard, long and hard about that. There are a lot of people that will... Uh, that want you to carry their banner, that maybe that's not the greatest banner to carry. And, and if you decide, realize that and understand that and make that decision on the front end, then you save yourself a lot of misery because it's a lot harder to make that decision down the road when you've been representing these folks that you've decided you don't really want to represent. It's hard to abandon them then. You, 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 you have an obligation to them at that point. So if you can make that decision on the front end, you're a lot better off. One thing I've been asking folks about is um, how can people be a good mentee? Like you've mentored Tom, and he's got a fantastic career and many other people. What can a younger person do so that someone who is successful and been there wants to invest their life in a younger lawyer? Well, they can show their interest in and help you understand how important it is to them. For example, when I started, I was really interested in learning about trials and what what it meant. Now I was getting to watch Leon in action and some of the other lawyers in that firm that I was in, but. We had a law library up in the library, and it had a bunch of continuing legal education books in it, the Annals of the American Trial Lawyer and stuff like that, and they had transcripts of, of trials and things like that. And I'd take those books home and read them, and, and it was just interesting to me to try to learn stuff about trials. Uh, I remember when I was law clerking over in Tampa, um, very famous lawyer Ch- uh, Chester Bedell was trying a case over there in the summertime and back in 1964. And I went over to that courthouse and watched him in action probably four or five times while I, whenever I could slip away from the office to watch him in action. You, you gotta be able to, you gotta be interested in, you know, if I were a young lawyer uh, starting out, I'd find out who the good lawyers were in town. I'd try to find out when they're going to be in court. Go watch them. See what you can learn uh, from that. And, and when, when you have that kind of a interest, that bubbles up for a lawyer, a mentor. I think they'd be very interested in helping somebody that showed that kind of interest in, in learning a skill. Depositions. Yep. Well, I like depositions. I've taken an awful lot of them. Sometimes I wonder if I'm not a deposition lawyer instead of a trial lawyer, you know. Uh, and in this room, I've taken hundreds of depositions sitting right across just like I'm sitting from you. Um, and it's so important. So many people just take such a casual approach to a deposition, but I just think it's so important to be prepared and ready to get something out of the deposition. It's one thing just to find out what somebody's going to say about some factual situation, 
but it's another thing to try to shape their testimony so you get it out the way you want it to come out and, and in a way that will help your client. Sometimes you can do that with not a lot of effort, but other times, I mean, I've spent weeks and weeks preparing for a deposition. I've read accumulated 20 or 30 prior deposition transcripts of a witness, like when it's an expert or something like that, and studied those and annotated them and used them to prepare for the deposition. Uh, so you got to come out of the deposition with something that you can use at the trial. If you don't have a good deposition, you're not in position to really hammer the witness in the trial. And that's what the deposition's for. It tells you, one, what happened or what the witness can say, but two, to nail it down so that you have, if you're up against some skilled uh, expert, you can't give those people any room to run at the trial. You've got to be able to nail them to, and, and hopefully you have the stuff you need in the deposition. You just want to regurgitate that at the trial. And if they try to deviate from that, you've got a hammer. Uh, but if you don't have a good deposition, you're in, you're in deep trouble. Let's talk about uh, something that everyone uh, deals with, which is a very difficult opposing counsel. And, and by difficult, um, I'm being kind. I, I mean the kind that is abrasive, rude, difficult, unprofessional, all of those things. How do you deal with that person? That's a challenge. I struggle with that just like anybody else does. Um, and... I, but but I try to be reasonably non-confrontational. I, I think a lot of times they're really happy to get in big fusses because that's what they like to do. And, and they like to yell and squeal and, and things. And so I just try to avoid that if I can. I, I try to ignore slights and... Uh, affronts, um, and you know, I'm not, I, I've, I've blundered and I've fallen into the trap of taking the bait uh, some uh, in situations where I wish I hadn't, but, but on the whole, I try to ignore that. And, and frankly, the older you get and the longer you've been at this, those people maybe cut you a little more slack than they do a young lawyer. What would you say are the most common mistakes that you see young lawyers making? Maybe just not the willingness to roll their sleeves up and really learn their case. That's, once you do that, you're in, you're in so much better shape as you proceed ahead. But some, I see some young lawyers that their confidence exceeds their capability. Um, and that's not a good situation. What is the most important thing you would speak to this next generation of lawyers to make the world a better place? Take out their careers, but to make the world a better place. Well, I think just to be 
open and available for opportunities to use your skills in a way that do improve the community that you live in. Uh, lawyers have great skills and abilities. Uh, your deductive uh, skills and your reasoning skills and your uh, innate intelligence and your ability to digest large amounts of information and to put it together and make it make sense is of such great use to your community if you're willing uh, to be available and to serve in that capacity. And I think lawyers ought to do that more than we do. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it was a treat for me to spend that time with David. I left there uh, thinking about the areas where I was engaged with difficult opposing counsel, and I actually followed David's advice and didn't take the bait, and it really did, frankly, improve the quality of my life for certain, and my hope is that it will do the same for you. Uh, our next guest is going to be Keith Mitnick. Keith is an amazing trial lawyer. He's tried over 200 jury trials, the author of the book, Don't Eat the Bruises, and also the lead trial lawyer at Morgan & Morgan. Keith is going to share about uh, trial advice, advice on technology in the courtroom, and how to walk through difficult losses. Hope you'll join us.